I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Oh, hello, gentlemen. Oh, hello, oh, hello Jesse. Yeah. I would hey, like to Dennis, ask a question. Hello, Clarice. Oh, oh I have a question like for Dennis. To... Wait, where oh, wait. are you? Where are you, Chris? Where am I? Yeah. I am uh, in the uh, basement of the chicken coop uh, on the farm in uh, Wisconsin. Oh, good. Is the chicken coop the same thing as the doghouse? Because I've been there. <laughs> no, it's not. We call this the, of course, both of you guys have been here. It's called the coop because once upon a time, it was a chicken coop on the farm and uh, we uh, remodeled it into a house. So we uh, we live in a chicken coop. I live in a house that was a house that was remodeled into a chicken coop. So I have the same thing, really. Mm-hmm. Am I right, Chris, that at one time your chicken coop was one room and you had at least five children in it? Uh, not seven? five. We had we had two. It's it started off as a chicken coop, which was probably like a ten by six, and then we expanded it into one room, which was about ten by sixteen. And we had now two kids chi- in it. Now it's a chicken sedan. Ah! <laughs> Gosh, man. that is a good one. That's going down in the lores of podcast. Oh man, nobody's listening anymore now. <laughs> oh, no, Katie Thornton loved that one. I know for for, for a fact. So that's how it began. And then we expanded it into, it's about, still not very big, uh, 1,200 square feet, I think, for 10 of us. But it's, uh, so it's cozy. Yeah. But it's, it suits us uh, pretty well. It just goes to show you. It's not like a villa or anything. Yeah. Well, you don't need 3.5 bathrooms for your 1.5 kids, and you're proof of it, Chris. So. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to have so. kind of like 0.5 Easter Vigil this year, aren't we? Or 0.75 Easter Vigil. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, think back to how you spent your uh, Easter Saturday a year ago. Yeah, sitting in front of my computer screen watching the (laughs) Dominicans in Ireland celebrate Easter. (laughs) Yeah. What did you do for uh, for Holy Week last year, uh, Jesse? Um, It was the same thing. We did everything online. We didn't even have like the Easter vigil or anything. Now, at that time, it was like the very beginning of like shut everything down. And so mm-hmm. I feel like at the rate that we're going, even if, you know, things escalated poorly again, um, we probably still would have an Easter vigil to some degree. I, we don't even fill our church at capacity on the one Sunday morning that we have mass. So capacity is at 150. And I don't know any church that had 150 people show up for the Easter vigil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, we're all in different locations: Wisconsin, Chicago, um, Italy. Where, where? Firenze. Where? Yeah, I've never. Where, where, is that near a town I've ever heard of? <laughs> Firenze, it's Florence. So, oh, Florence, uh, right? Yeah, okay. Florence is a low valley surrounded by hills. They look a bit like um, the Blue Ridge Mountains, kind of very lovely. And uh, oh, okay. people all have right. kind of like villas in the hills, and then they go into the city. So okay. we're about okay. three miles out. All right, so. Probably uh, the the Holy Week and Triduum and Easter Vigil will be a little bit different uh, depending on where you are. 
Um, but still, there will be, you won't have to watch it, although you probably can. You won't have to watch uh, the True to Women Holy Week on live stream or whatever. You can probably end up going, but still, it's not going to be the same probably, uh, as it was, say, in so-called normal times. There's still going to be different, I don't know, restrictions or adaptations uh, and whatnot. And so I thought what we might do in this podcast is, you know, just to alert you to some of the things that you might see depending on where you are. So now, you can kind of, of go away with eyes come down from on, Any of these things come down from on high, like the ashes from Rome or the USCCB yeah. guidelines, or you think people are just going to have to figure this out diocese by diocese? Yeah. So, well, last year, the, the Holy See sent out two sets of Holy Week guidelines about a week apart, and they were still pretty general. And so, you know, bishops had to tweak them a little bit. But again, there was nobody there, so it wasn't too hard. Well, this year, the Holy See sent out uh, more of a more general note that said, if you still need to make these adaptations that you did last year, go ahead and do it. If you don't need to make as uh, strict uh, uh, accommodations, it's up to you, bishops. You're, in other words, you're kind of on your own. Mm. And I mean, not anything goes, of course, but we're not going to tell you what to do and not to do. You need to make these decisions based on these permissions and the state of the pandemic in, in your diocese. So. Yeah, I remember last year, you know, Atchison is right on the border of Missouri, Kansas and Missouri. And Atchison in Kansas City had all these restrictions because Kansas had the restrictions. Five minutes over the border, people were going to mass when all the other churches were closed. It's kind of an amazing uh, difference with so close a distance. So there was a similar thing too. happening here with, uh, you know, Mundelein being so close close to the uh, northern border of Wisconsin and Illinois. And so uh, th- a lot of that stuff was kind of happening here as well. Kind of weird, strange stuff, but you have to do what you have to do with local uh, protocols. Yeah. So what you're the head so th- of uh, Office of Worship, Chris. What are you going to do? How did you come to that yeah. decision? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll just make a couple of, I'll say a couple of things about what we're going to do on Palm Sunday and Holy Thursday, Good Friday and the Vigil. Uh, kind of the uh, adaptations we're going to make and why and things like that. Uh, and then, again, this may or may not be the place. These may or may not take place in uh, where you are. But um, anyway, just something, something to keep in mind. So uh, maybe we'll start with Palm Sunday. So last year what uh, the Holy See said. So first of all, there's three different possible beginnings to Palm Sunday. The first one is called the procession where everybody is at another church or they're at another location or at least outside. And there's these rites at the beginning and then everybody processes into the church with palms. The second one is called the solemn entrance. And this is where everybody's already inside the nave, except for the ministers who are kind of at the beginning. And they're the only there's some entrance rites uh, where the ministers are at the door and then they process in. And then the third one is called the uh, simple entrance. And that's basically begins like any other mass. And last year, uh, what they said was that at the cathedral, you could do the solemn entrance. That's the second one. And at parishes, you had to do the simple entrance. All right. Well, this year, you can decide which one you're going to do. And so what we recommended to our parishes is that not to do the first form, the procession, because then everybody's got to gather in a 
possibly tight space or something like that. Uh, but to do the solemn entrance or the simple entrance, where the solemn entrance again, everybody gets their palm and they gets to go, they get to go inside the church and only the ministers process in. So that's probably what we'll see here in lacrosse and maybe what you might see uh, elsewhere so, well you know as i you hear think? you speak it sounds kind of good to have everybody outside right more fresh air more room although when everybody starts filing in the door it sounds like social distancing will be a maybe a problem right yeah that, that's why these things are so hard is that you know through the past year right the recommendations from the science changed every couple of weeks or every month and you know and what is the what you know what do you expect from the pandemic conditions where you are in a month from now and do you you still have to you're still supposed to do this social distancing and if you, everybody's got to kind of bottleneck through the door of the church is that going to be possible and so you kind of weigh this is what the 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 holy see wanted you to do is to weigh the faithful sacred celebration of the rites on the one hand with you know prudent health precautions on the other and you can't celebrate them as if it were normal times and completely ignore health considerations, nor can you say, you know, the health considerations are everything and it doesn't matter what kind of accommodations you have to make to the rights. You have to do something in the middle that that does justice to both. And so this is what bishops and liturgist types and pastors are trying to figure out. How can you hold both of these things together? Now, how did you come up with the rules for your diocese? Did you meet with the bishop? Did you make a proposal? Do it yourself? What'd you do? Uh, all those things. So, uh, you can imagine the bishop gets an earful of uh, advice <laughs> from lots of people, uh, pastors, lay people and things like that. So he's getting all sorts of input. You know, a bishop's primary collaborators are his priests. They're not the Dawson liturgy director. So the priests tell him a lot of things and he discusses with presbyteral councils and other things like that. And then he discusses with uh, me. And so and then I ask about to other liturgy directors around uh, the country and the bishop's conference about what they're thinking of doing and why and whatnot. And then I make a proposal to the bishop. And so he, he doesn't says, say, this is name. what I want. He doesn't say, this is what I want. He says, "What make? tell me what you think is best. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So lots of people tell him what they think is best. And then he's got to <laughs> sort through it all and make everybody happy uh, in what the about, end. So, Chris, what about the sprinkling rite? Is that something that can still happen? Because I haven't had or used holy water in forever. On Easter? No, you were talking about Palm Sunday. Isn't there the... Oh, for the blessing of the palms, isn't... Uh, I think that's more on the palms than on the people. I'd have to go look at that rubric. But okay. if... Certainly, if you're not doing that first one where everybody's gathered together, it wouldn't be a question. And right. the second one, if everybody's already in the... Yeah, that's a good question. I will say that uh, uh, at the Easter Vigil, uh, we're blessing water and leaving it up to the discretion of the pastor if he wants to sprinkle the people with that water. Mm -hmm. Again, they. I think the science has said over uh, the last year that water doesn't seem to be one of those uh, places where the, the virus is transmitted. Would it be illicit know. to put a little chlorine or something in there like they do in a swimming pool? Or would that be, uh... you know, my kids were lifeguards all summer long at a swimming pool, and uh, they, they seem all right. Yeah. Um, no, I don't, I don't think it would. But again, I think if you if you put water into the, the, the vessel, you know, out of the tap and you blessed it and then sprinkled right out of that, I don't I mean, I'm no I'm no doctor. I don't play one on uh, the Liturgy Guys podcast either. But 
that doesn't seem Dennis, to be according to the. What do you say? Yeah, yeah you're I'm a doctor. A do- I'm a doctor. I say <laughs> chlorine and salt exercised. So, like the old so. school, exercise, salt, and lots of it. Yeah. But anyway, there's one such thing that we're doing for Palm Sunday. So, what do you think about that? You guys are going to show up at Palm Sunday, and you're going to be all right with that. I'm happy to do not anything matters, after but. last year. I mean, honestly, it just was. It was so miserable not to really be able to do anything in the Triduum. And uh, and obviously Palm Sunday, and I know that's kind of a sad thing to say that <laughs> I'll, I'll take anything at this point. But um, it's that balance, like you said, you know, the balance of the health concerns, but also the spiritual concerns that we have, you mm-hmm. know, and making sure that we're doing all this. My biggest concern is that we don't have anything, um, you know, that we shouldn't be doing carry over into these liturgies when there are no health concerns. I just don't want people to think, oh, you know, it's fine. That was kind of a practical way to do things, so let's keep doing it that way. And we miss out on some of these really important things that we should be doing. Yeah. I gathered from the priests and the people that I talk to who, you know, still care about practicing their faith, they're ready to to, to, uh, to chuck a lot of these aberrations uh, that we've been putting up with for the year and get back to to a, a liturgy that's more normative and uh, by the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to be clear, I'm, to be clear, I'm ready for that too. But I, I also understand the different situations. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me let me tell you one of the things we're uh, recommending for uh, the Mass of the Lord's Supper. So the washing of the feet. So last year, the Holy See said it is to be omitted. That seems so legit. This, that's cleaning, right? You're getting the COVID off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just put that well, maybe. sanitizing alcohol stuff on the feet, right? Well, yeah, that's it. You wash it with uh, with sanitizer. I mean, do you can you use the same water. We, we tell people when they baptize, they have to be replacing the water all the time. You know, so you have to get 12 different basins. Uh, you know, the fact that it's I think the rubric says um, I don't remember how it reads exactly where circumstances recommend it. The washing of the feet follows. Eh, it kind of seemed to us that the circumstances don't really recommend it this year this practice anyway so we our guidelines uh, uh ask that the washing of the feet be omitted again uh this year so it was like always optional last. is that right it was always optional then well yes it was always optional but it wasn't uh hey man it's up to you do it or not you know six of one half a dozen of the other it was well it's not mandatory but it's desired and so if you're not going to do it it just shouldn't be because you don't want to or something like that uh i mean there's some meaning the, the in this gesture um yeah. that should be considered before you decide not to do it so you know what i mean it's optional but it's not just of hey do it or don't it doesn't matter either way so it's do it unless there's some reason you can't i think i remember when yeah in india or in africa there's certain places where it wasn't polite to show your feet in public or to have you know men wash women's feet and that kind of thing and mm-hmm. so they have to have that kind of flexibility yeah, yeah. So, but what we've, what we've done, right? And so the, the, the washing of the feet is a response to Jesus's mandate to love one another. And so rather than just say, Hey, just skip this, this year is say, okay, in its place, pastors should encourage their people to find another way to respond to Christ's mandate. If you're not going to do it through the washing of the feet, do it some other way. And so two options is one is there's this 
rubric about the offertory at the Mass of the Lord's Supper where gifts for the poor may be given by the people. So, okay, well, if we're not going to do the washing of the feet, then let's really play up this way to respond to the mandate by offering gifts uh, to the people. And then even outside of Mass. Okay, uh, John and Mary Catholic, you're not going to see this tonight uh, when you come to the Mass of the Lord's Supper. So be especially intentional about doing something else during Holy Thursday that is a response to the mandate. So bring some Remember. cans of Chef Boyardee beforeoni or something. And yeah, you'd like collect. that. <laughs> <laughs> Chef Boyardee. So again, you know what? What do you think? I mean, what if, what if you were me, or what if you were, uh, uh, you know, your bishop or something like that? What, what would you, what would you tell him? It it's is tricky. difficult, you know. Rites develop over time, and they have to be right, right? They have to be ritual, and not just regular people doing regular things. And I, I found whenever things like that happen, um, they tend to be more distractions than. Uplifting. I think I told you, you know, one of the seasons ago about the ritual of the tool one year when I was in graduate school at the parish there. They, on Father's Day, they put all these tools in a basket in front of the altar. And after the communion, they said, all the kids in church can come up and pick a tool for your dad. But some of them were screwdrivers and some of them were hammers and some of them were saws. And it turned into this brawl because my dad wants a hammer. My dad wants a screwdriver. And like all the kids were fighting over the tools. It, you know, good intentions turned into this kind of ridiculous thing uh -huh. and um I, you know how could whatever you're proposing come across as liturgical and not just kind of a silly you know make work uh, moment yeah well this at least is uh, in the books you know to to offer gifts you know for the poor but yeah here's one from good friday yeah so well, one of the things is last year, the Holy See uh, asked bishops to include an 11th petition in the solemn intercessions, one for the, uh, uh, you know, for recovering from uh, the pandemic. And so, you know, there's 10 intercessions at the universal prayer and there will be a, we've decided, we've asked uh, parishes to continue to use this 11th one. So you might hear that this year. That's the one where they but say, after, let us stand, let us kneel, mm -hmm. all that. That's the solemn oh, prayer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you yep, get to stand yep, and so kneel one extra time. Yes. One extra time. But after the solemn intercessions comes the veneration of the cross. Now, we know what you did last year for the veneration of the cross, namely nothing. Do you remember what you did two years ago to venerate the cross? I slobbered all over the feet of Jesus. Uh -huh. I think, yeah. That figures. Mouth to yeah. mouth. <laughs> mm, adoratio. That's right. Okay. So uh, should, <laughs> what would you recommend this year? Well, avoiding I, the kissing and I, touching. Well, I I see priests now when they enter for mass when they're supposed to kiss the altar. I've seen it done both ways, uh, but they keep them some keep the mask on when they kiss. Now I don't know if that's like a health concern or whatever, um, or if it you know is not enough to really be a part of that you know full uh, participation in the veneration of the cross if there's some fabric in between your lips and the cross. But, you know, that's one thing I have seen done, and I don't know if it could be done. Yeah. I know that when we had ordinations last summer, we asked the many concelebrants not to, ven not to kiss the altar at all for that reason. Chris, but. didn't you say one of the options for the veneration of the cross was to have a large cross elevated, and then everybody did a personal... <laughs> 
veneration. Yeah, yes, and that's that's the one that uh, that we've sent out. It says that only the priest uh, venerates uh, the cross, you know, with a kiss. And then, quoting the missal, uh, it says uh, the priest holds the cross elevated higher for a brief time for the faithful to adore in silence. And so that's one option that we've put out is mm-hmm. that just like Moses, well, Jesus makes reference to this too, as uh, the serpent was lifted up uh, yeah. in the desert. So now the priest will. Uh, hold up the cross for all to venerate in silence. So that's one that's one guideline. But the other, as we said, is ministers could hold the cross at the front of the sanctuary and people could come up, but without touching it or kissing it, could bow, bow their head, bow their body, genuflect, whatever, and then just kind of go, go back to their spot. So a couple of options that we hope is doing, again, justice to kind of health concerns, but also the, uh, you know, the tradition, the, the, the integrity and the sacrality of the right. Hmm. But, you know, again, <laughs> it'll upset some people, right. maybe lots of people. Wait, something liturgical uh, upset somebody? Uh, yeah. Unheard uh, of. Yeah. And change in liturgy upsets people? No. <laughs> so, do you get hate mail uh, Chris, by yeah. the way do you ever get hate mail or angry oh, I mail would call it that hate mail is too strong I but, only uh, get great mail yeah that's great um no I wouldn't call it hate mail but yeah I mean you know people have lots of opinions about this and this is what's so difficult, I think, for a pastor is that, you know, he has a, a family of people, a parish, and he has kind of the extremes of every type of opinion on the pandemic or on the liturgy or whatever. And somehow he has to keep them all together. And it's, it's really difficult. And the you know, bishops have that problem. And uh, anyway, but yeah, that's, so if that's things, how it is. weird that's things happen at your parish this time. Resist the urge to be angry and judge and mean and say, why did they do that? Pause and say, okay, there's probably a lot of thought that went into this. And even if it's not what I like, there's carefully decided things that people of goodwill uh, came to. Yeah, yeah. And if it's any consolation, know that uh, probably everybody else in that church, including your pastor, is not entirely happy with the, the, the celebration and the situation either. And then everybody's trying to do, you know, the best job that, uh, that he can to, to make this happen. So anyway, let me give you one last one for the, uh, for the Easter vigil. Oh, yeah. So, again, yeah. So, Dennis, you said you were on your computer watching Dominicans in Ireland. Actually, they uh, were in England. You it, was sat the, in, it was the Oxford in, in, Blackfriars. I, mis, I misspoke. Oh, wow. They okay. do a really right. nice job. If you have to watch a, a mass online, Oxford Blackfriars, they do an amazing job. Okay. All right. Uh, how How's the Easter vigil supposed to to begin? Uh, is that the in darkness, right? Yeah, in darkness. With the fire, with that fire outside. Holy fire outside. Yeah, with the Rogus Ardens campfire blazing and burning away the darkness of the night. And everybody's what? gathered, huddled what? around. What did uh, you call it, Chris? Rogus Ardens? What is that? The, the, the Latin, I guess, is Rogus Ardens, which means big fire. Ooh. Well, it probably doesn't mean big fire, but that's what it uh, uh, denotes is, is a large fire. Um and again, everybody kind of gathers around, huddles up close to stay warm uh, in the light of the fire. Well, kind of like the Palm Sunday thing. See, and again, last year, this was supposed to be omitted altogether. No fire, no procession, nothing like that. And so, uh, although when I tuned into the Easter Vigil at the Holy See, they had a fire. <laughs> mm. It wasn't outside. It was, you know, 
the, the very few people that were in St. Peter's Basilica, they had they had a fire in inside the basilica wow. uh, and did a little procession with a candle. But for everywhere else, it was supposed to be omitted altogether. And you were just supposed to, to bless the candle somehow. Well, so this year, what we recommended, kind of similar to the Palm Sunday thing, is is not to do the, the gathering together outside around the fire. But there's an option in the missile where it says if you can't have a rogus ardent, you can have an ignis, a little fire that can be burned safely uh-huh. within the doors of the church. So if it's, you know, raining or something like yeah. that outside. Cute little so fire. The people, yeah, you can have a cute little fire. Yeah, like a puppy. So the people get their candles and they go to their places in the nave and then the ministers go to the door of the church and they do the blessing of the smaller fire there and then they process in uh, with the candle. Hmm. So that's our suggested adaptation or guideline for the Easter vigil this year. I think I read somewhere that incense is ac- actually kills the uh, COVID virus. I have to look that up again for sure. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I encourage people use lots of incense as an antiseptic yeah. uh, device. Yeah, well, for uh, antiseptic reasons or not, it's uh, for ritual ritual reasons. It certainly should be uh, leading that uh, procession in into the church in front of the candle, and then here comes Moses and the and the representative sample of the chosen people into the church. But you know, anyway, I I thought this might be helpful to to listeners to just to make them aware that when they go to to Holy Week. Um, I'm sure they're going to be grateful that they don't have to watch it, uh, that they can go. But just to know that uh, it's probably it's probable that they're still going to encounter adaptations and it's not going to be, you know, as good as normal just yet. But uh, but to be aware of that and, and to and to look forward, you know, to this is you're we're not even Christmas and Easter Catholics anymore. Right. Because <laughs> we didn't get to go at Easter last year. But to, to think about what. You're, you might be looking forward to uh, something you haven't got to experience, uh, witness for a couple of years during these uh, Holy Week uh, liturgies. So anyway, hope it's a blessing for everybody. Yeah, job, I think uh, hopefully we're on, a way, on our way to healing in this country and the world and, and we can get back to some normal, awesome, amazing liturgies. So yeah, uh, let's answer a liturgy question, huh? Mm-hmm. Sounds good. All right. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Hey, Jesse, do we have a question this week? 
We do have a question, and that is definitely not the third time that we've tried to start this uh, segment. We have a question this week from Jonathan, and Jonathan uh, wants to know about the line in Sacrosanctum Concilium that says, uh, no person, even if, if it be the priest, may add, remove, or change anything in the liturgy on his own authority. And he gives a couple of examples, um, I'm assuming, of things that he's seen or experienced that he has questions about whether or not uh, they qualify under that statement. And so I think we'll take a look at two of these. And the first one is, is it okay for a religious uh, or uh, a nun to regularly give a reflection instead of the priest giving a homily during the Mass? And then the other one is, is that, is it permitted for a priest to omit the word men in the profession of faith? And there's some, you know, other things here too, but I think those two, uh, maybe people will relate to those questions, and I think we can handle them. So... Uh, Dennis, Chris, what what do you say? Well, let's uh, let's do it the usual way. I say something vague and broad, and Chris says something <laughs> specific and uh, important. So, first, that line from Sacrosanctum Concilium is still valid, right? It's a normative and you know, instructive idea from a council that is still normative <laughs> and instructive. However, there are certain permissions that were given by you know as the rites were revised in the sixties and into the seventies. One of them is certain places, and maybe you know, Chris, where it says, in these or similar words. And so, like, the priest can say some things at the beginning of Mass about the readings that they'll be coming up later. There are other places where he must say exactly what it says. And um, so confusing those two might be uh, a little difficult to understand. So words that must be said words that may be these or similar words or something to keep in mind. So now I hand it off to you, my genius mm. friend, Chris. Mm. That was a good setup, Dennis, so. Thank you. Yeah. Get no, you're right. I mean, that line from Sacrosanctum Concilium, which has roots before the council and in subsequent documents, is still on the books. No one, even if he be a priest, may add, remove, or change anything on his own authority, which incidentally Jesse. is the very, very first norm <clears throat> given in Sacrosanctum Concilium. It's not buried, yeah, you know. One. It's the number one thing. So, yeah, that's still there. Yeah, and We should have a little foam hand in church when the priest messes with liturgy that says number one on it. You can raise yeah. it in his face. Yeah. So, um, yeah, words can't be changed unless there is an explicit permission to use these or similar words. Uh, but if that ain't there, then those words have to be changed. Now, about the homily... Uh, the, the, the section in the code uh, deals with the homily begins at number 762. And then there's another document uh, called Ecclesiae de Mysterio, and it's on the collaboration of laity in the sacred ministry of priests. And it says, at least about the homily question, a couple of things. Uh, it says all previous norms. Dennis mentioned that, too. I mean, things sort of were unclear for a while. All previous norms, which may have admitted the non-ordained faithful to preaching the homily during the Holy Eucharist, are to be considered abrogated, according to Canon 767. So, if once upon a time a layperson could have um, given a homily, that's not the case anymore. And they give by way of examples, uh, you know, seminary students are not to give like homilies and things like that, practice homilies on their weekend uh, visits or things like that. Now, it will say this. <clears throat> uh, it continues, though. Again, this is from Ecclesiae de Mysterio on the collaboration of the laity uh, with priests. 
a form of instruction designed to promote a greater understanding of the liturgy, including personal testimonies or celebration of Eucharistic or the celebration of Eucharistic liturgies on special occasions is lawful if in harmony with the liturgical norms, should such be considered objectively opportune as a means of ep- explicating the regular homily preached by the priest celebrant, right? So it's not to take the place of, it's in addition to the homily. You might need a certain testimony or something like that. Mm. It continues, nevertheless, these testimonies or explanations may not be such so as to assume the character which could be confused with the homily. End quote. So it's not like you right. say, oh, well, it's not a homily that Chris is giving. It's a reflection or something like that. No, no, no. If you're doing it in the same place as the homily, you're not. That's not legit. Right. So people find a little wiggle room there. And so the pastor will come up and talk for 30 seconds and then say, oh, and now our seminarian will talk for the next 15 minutes as a way to get around legally the whole kind of. Uh, requirement that are you allowed to play a recording of the bishop for the annual Catholic mm. appeal? <laughs> <laughs> I think Not we're out of time to the homily. We're out of time <laughs> for that question. Yeah, I, well, to that question, uh, I think if that were to be played, it would ideally be done after the prayer, after communion, or after mass, or outside of mass, or certainly in addition to a regular homily, but I don't think yeah. I don't think it's the men's ecclesia that uh, the video replaces the uh, homily. Right. So, you know, sometimes you hear missionaries come and they plead for money for their orphanage in Uganda or something, and it might be a sister, and, you know, that's the time to do it, but after the homily, not as a replacement for the homily. Oh, I thought I thought you were going to do the word replacement. So. Oh, the word like man. So the question was, can the yeah. priest take? No, the answer is no. It's that's <laughs> that's one of those things that cannot add. Shape. There's no similar words for that. It's the prayer, and the prayer is the prayer of the church for everybody. And you know, people have pastoral situations, and they're concerned about gender inclusivity and everything. That's a pastoral thing that has to be explained. That's not a church thing that has to be changed. All right. Jonathan, I hope that answers your question. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Thank you and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Adoremus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College. Now that's a podcast.